everybody. This is Sean Harwell. This is the Never Heard of It podcast. We're recording on December 10th. How about that? Uh, this is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through the cracks, and I'm not doing it alone. I've got a co-host. His name is Craig Moorhead. Craig, how the heckle and jekyll are you, sir? I'm fantastic, Sean. I'm doing just great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, although full disclosure, we recorded this once already, and I somehow <laughs> lost my audio file. <sighs> so we're, we're, this is take two. They say things get better with practice, so hopefully. This I mean, one's, yeah. I mean, that last one was really good, though, so this will be like, poof. Yeah. Man, I wish people could hear that last one and just how good it was. Yeah, I know. They'll just have to imagine. Yeah. So take this one plus like 40, 50%. Right. That's how good, yeah. Mm. Well, hey, would you like to tell these people that are listening where else they can say hello to us online? Sure. You can say hello to us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitters. You can find us on Instagram. You can kind of find us on YouTube, I think, still. You can find the old episodes, yeah. We haven't old, done old episodes, in a while. yeah. We kept getting uh, legal notices or whatever that yeah. auto-generated crap that's... If nothing else, this podcast has taught me that people do not want you to talk about their movies. I guess not, no. They, just, like, they make the movie and then they just want to kind of hide it away. Not naming names, Tyler Perry, but, uh, you know, anyway. Anyway. But we're out there, yeah. We're out there, and you can find us, and we hope you do, and we hope you will, uh, I mean, drop us a line, ask questions, suggest movies, whatever you feel like doing. We are here, and we will get back to you within a week, two weeks tops. Plus, don't write that in blood, but yeah. Mm -mm. Uh, also, we just recently were added to the service TuneIn, which has their own app. And Tune in. They, do, they have a lot of terrestrial radio stations. I believe you can pick up through that as sure. well as podcasts, because everybody has podcasts. I know Pandora does as well now. You can find us on Spotify. Yeah. So if you're unhappy with your current podcast listening provider, switch it up. Switch it up. We're out there. You can yeah. find us. Don't worry. Don't don't not switch because of us, because we'll probably be wherever you might switch to. We're not going to leave you, is what we're saying. That's right. Although we are going to leave you mm -hmm. at the end of the year, right after Christmas, yeah. when our last episode of this three-part series we're going to kick off today uh, on the movie Black Christmas from 1974. So excited to do this one, Craig. Mm -hmm. uh, almost as excited as I was to admit to you that I had never seen this movie. Oh, man, that was a good day. I know you crapped your pants a little bit that day, oh, yeah. Crap my pants still. Yeah, we decided to get our act together and uh, see if we couldn't do not one, not two, but three episodes on this horror holiday classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're going to do things a little bit differently than just the normal tee-up this time. We're going to talk just cast and crew today, and then we'll be back next week to do behind the scenes and additional trivia and all the other stories we can find about this movie. And then lastly, we'll wrap it up nicely with a full discussion of this movie and hopefully a little bit at least of the remake from, I think that was within the 2010s, right? That they remade that movie? It was actually 2006. No, oh, I'll be damned. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's kind of already an old movie, yeah. I know, it's going to feel real old. That'll be interesting. If you're under the age of 12, you probably have no idea what either of these <laughs> movies are about. And, so and may, maybe welcome you to the podcast, youngsters. Yes, and uh, this is great because you hopefully will have never heard of it. Right. The rest of you old folks, yeah, we're having fun. It's the holidays. And uh, we're glad you're here to join us. Before we get into all of that, we're going to do our next little series in each of these three episodes to keep you up to date with what else we're watching. So, Craig, mm. what else have you seen, good sir? 
Well, here's what else I saw. I watched uh, the Lee Wanell movie Upgrade, which I think came out earlier this year. Yeah, I'm aware of that movie, but that's about it. I kind of, yeah, I kind of like the cut of Wanell's jib. I haven't loved all the movies he's made. He wrote Saw, I believe, the first one, and he's, he's kind of had his hand in a lot of those kind of like horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. Axe, he did Axe, right? Axe, Saw, he did uh, Ball Peen Hammer. <laughs> oh, Ball Peen Hammer was good. The only one I wasn't really into was... Uh, was Socket Wrench. I didn't understand yeah. that one. It just, the guy it didn't, jumped a shark on that one. had yeah. nothing to do with the rest of them. But <laughs> but he made this movie Upgrade, and it, it's kind of reminiscent of the feeling of Terminator. If you were an old person, you saw Terminator before there were any other Terminators, and there weren't mm-hmm. even CGI things yet. Right. What was kind of cool about Terminator was it, was, it kind of had a, a, a low-budget feel. Like, you knew it couldn't cost that much money. But man, they did so much with the money they had. Yeah. And it really created this this very believable world that was very easy to to get into. And Upgrade is kind of like that. I'm not going to say it's like it's up there with actually a, a movie that's going to stick around like Terminator, but there's just a ton of imagination in it. The the main guy, honestly, he's so close to being Tom Hardy. I just kept thinking it was Tom Hardy that I was watching. Huh. That's interesting. Cuz you know there was that Tom Hardy movie where he played twins. Yeah, maybe they should have just got this other guy, you know? Was that Freaky Friday? It was not, It was Freaky Thursday. No, I don't ah. remember what that... It was about a British gangster in uh, the oh, title okay. of case. It was, it was okay. So it's it's not Tom Tom Hardy, and it is a low-budget thing, but it's, it's like about this guy who gets attacked, and the attack leaves him a quadriplegic, and so this super smart, rich guy puts a chip in the back of his neck that can control his body, gives him control over his body again. But the chip kind of starts to take control of his body. And he, there's, there's a lot of fight scenes where like our, our main guy is very disturbed by what the chip is making his body do to people. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. But it, it was uh, it was just a, it was a pretty fun movie. It's almost like a Cronenberg premise. Almost. I think yeah. You'd have to take a left turn maybe from yes. certain points. Right. <laughs> Like like a Cronenberg movie would be, would be a lot slower, sure, and and it would just keep getting bleaker. Whereas this is yes. this is much more like a, a very a much more sort of standard three act you know guy in a in a bad situation trying to make it right. I'd like to see it. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty interesting movie. I'm I'm sure it'll be streaming one day. It'll be a perfect streaming movie. Nice. And then I, I watched uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Did you find them? Uh, no, I could not find any. Oh, at least not in the movie. I've been telling people that it feels like a movie for people who really like Harry Potter, but they wish there wasn't so much story in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. They ra- they'd rather it just be wizards and wands and crazy shit going on. I've never had that uh, complaint about Harry Potter. I was always very, no. very happy with all of the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's I kind what of I felt liked, like actually. Yeah. It was at least half of the draw mm-hmm. was the fact that you cared about what's happening to this kid. I mean, it's a, got a terrific cast. It looks like a million bucks, and it, they probably spent at least a million dollars on it. Mm, somewhere in there. But there's also ostensibly a bad guy, and I just, I didn't, I had no idea what he wanted. I felt like he was in a completely separate movie from the rest of our people. Like, I, it was just not well put together as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it left me a little cold. I've been hesitant to watch it, I gotta say. You haven't because- watched it? No, and I've been, no. uh, you know, it's just uh, very fond of the original series. Yeah. And it feels like it covers a lot of good ground. I don't want additional things explained to me. 
about yeah, origins no. of things that work perfectly fine without origins. And uh, that makes me nervous. Yeah, I mean, that might be a part of it, too, is it felt like the movie was assuming I had a lot of knowledge that I don't oh. think I had. And so if that's okay. what, what I was up against, that may have had a lot to do with it. Like Maybe. if I was supposed to just be like, yeah, I know who that guy is and I know why he's here and I know why he brought yeah, that okay. case full of animals, you know. Right. I was kind of lost. But, but you know, if, if you have to watch it, if for some reason your kid is like, I'm watching this dad and you're watching with me, then it's not the worst thing in the world. There's a sure. lot of engaging uh, characters and, and moments in it. But yeah. it was. I have a feeling I'll see down. it. I just, you know, I, yeah. I, like I say, I've been, you know, feeling like it will disappoint me, sadly. <laughs> yeah. And putting yeah. it off. It might. But what didn't disappoint me was uh, I watched The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. I'm so excited that we live in a time when a new Coen Brothers movie just comes out on a streaming platform. Yep. I mean, I would love to watch it in the theater, obviously, but the fact that I could just sit down and watch it, it's not even like minor league Coen Brothers. Nope. It was pretty amazing stuff. It is kind of exciting. You know, I, I'd say as much as I give Netflix crap, and I think I mentioned it was not prominently featured the night of, at least on my app, when I went to watch right. it, the night of release, still, it's kind of cool that you can just watch a new Coen Brothers movie on your TV. It really is. I've, I've seen people not happy of the, about the fact that the, the depiction of Native Americans uh, uh, in the course. movie. Of course. I'm sure that was going to happen. Um, uh, yeah, I'm wrestling with that a little bit. <laughs> because on the one hand, yes, I mean, the, the Coen Brothers movies are definitely historically very, very white. Absolutely. But at the same time, I feel like they are specifically so. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm always chewing on that. But, uh, but really, like, as far as, I mean... It's it's a pretty incredible movie, and uh, if you get a chance to watch it, you should, Sean. One hundred percent agree. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about the Native American depiction, and it's it's extremely limited in that movie. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it is one sided without question. There are no actual Native American characters that I recall that have any sort of like arc or speaking right. in parts. Yeah. That said, I I did read a a book about the Searchers, the John Ford movie, mm -hmm. John Wayne classic that had, you know, a ton of historical research and presentation of what was going on at the time. And it's hard to kind of wrestle with the fact that, you know, both sides were horrifically brutal. I mean, just yeah. toe-curling stuff that right. happened on both sides. Sure. It's hard not to blame the white people for invading them and look right. at it that way. But that said, yeah, there was some, some bad, bad stuff doing on both sides. So, absolutely. I mean, that was the only thing I was like, well... I'm just going to soak that in and enjoy the way that they kill people in this movie because mm -hmm. it was kind of fun. It is. Anywho. What about you, Sean? What, what have you been watching? Well, I snuck in a couple new movies and then rewatched a classic. So I'll talk about that first. That was The Apartment, the 1960 oh, yeah. Billy Wilder classic. Uh, if you have not seen this movie, if you don't think you're likely to see it, shame on you. You should. It's great. It's got Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred McMurray. Yeah, Watching it again... I don't know. I didn't even think about it before I sat down to watch it about like, oh, how, how's this going to feel to watch this movie about a guy who's just like loaning out his apartment to his like executive superiors at work so that they can strip their mistresses in them. Right. But it holds up really, really well, I thought. And uh, there's a moment in this movie, spoiler, where Shirley MacLaine, the mistress of Fred McMurray, uh, attempts to kill herself with sleeping pills. And... I don't know. I was thinking about it structurally last night and wondering if that's actually like 
the inciting incident of that movie in a weird way. It might be one of these movies that, you know, sort of ditches or it doesn't quite comply to the three-act structure classic that all of us right. screenwriter nerds know and maybe it's more of a, a half-and-half kind of thing. But it, it changes a lot at that moment and uh, it's a really long scene that felt very, very real watching it this time. You know, they're really struggling to keep her alive in that moment. It's great and it, it really kind of plays then into the resolution that comes with her and Jacqueline and is ultimately a, a hopeful couple, at least. And that is about halfway through the movie when that happens. It really is. It's yeah. it's pretty close, yeah. But at any rate, it's great. Yeah. Along with that, I watched yeah, two movies from this year. I watched The Front Runner. The Jason Reitman movie about Gary Hart, the former oh, senator, yeah, yeah who uh, was found having an affair and uh, went from being a very serious contender for president to not being in the race at all, as you might expect. It's got Hugh Jackman in that starring role. It, it's okay. It's it's pretty interesting. I mean, the story itself is interesting, and the way they sort of look at it historically is interesting in getting to the argument of, well, is the newspaper that reported this scandal? really the problem in America that we're like getting down to that level of sleaze? Right. Or is it the fact that this guy was cheating on his wife, you know, and there's a minute there where it feels like, oh, actually maybe it's, it's more important that we talk about how things are being reported, you know, and what's personal and what's private and what's not uh, versus no, this man did something not necessarily great. You know, from that sense, it, it was pretty interesting, but I still felt by the end of this thing that, Sadly, I don't quite know a ton about Gary Hart other than like what he did, I guess, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. That was missing to me a little bit. Still, I think it's worth seeing. Yeah. And then last but not least, I watched First Reformed, the Paul Schrader movie last night. Yeah. Which I did not know was on, it's on Amazon Prime right now. I had no idea. I didn't (laughs) know that. Yeah, I know. I was just flipping through stuff. I was like, well, let me see. And I was like, oh, holy crap. I've been wanting to watch this for weeks. It's incredible. I loved it. Wow. Yeah, it's my forerunner right now for best drama of the year, hands down. It's a great performance by Ethan Hawke. If he doesn't get nominated, total crime, uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's funny because we were talking on Facebook, I think, about something else regarding Paul Schrader, which wasn't great. And uh, you mentioned something about Taxi Driver, too, which I think was maybe just a joke. But uh, this movie, I mean, it kind of feels like it's from that same person. It yeah. really, really, like it is like a spiritual taxi driver in a weird way. And it's got big issues and big questions going on in a very sort of small character-driven piece. He shot it in like 1.3 is a square ratio, and that yeah. works really, really well. And uh, it's just it's super intense. And I can't wait for you to see it because I want to talk to somebody about the ending. Oh, man, I'm going to have to check it out. I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of Paul Schrader's movies, although I was reminded that we did The Comfort of Strangers on this very podcast. Right. I don't know, man. If he's made a better movie than this as a director, I gotta. I need to see that movie because, I don't know, this feels like a pinnacle from the other stuff I've seen for sure. So oh, we'll check that out. Yeah. Amazon Prime. It's there. First Reformed. You heard it here. First Reformed. Oh. Craig. Yeah. Let's time travel a bit. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. 
Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Were you born in 1974? I was born in 1974, Christmas night. Get out of here. That's true. I was not. It was oh, in the man. summer. But okay, I'm a little bit older than this movie as far as when it was released. Yeah, but te- I mean, yeah, you could have seen it as like a little like six-month-old baby. How cool yeah. would that have been? Maybe, maybe I did. Yeah, maybe you did and you don't know it. Maybe your I parents know, yeah. took you to the theater. That's right. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Black Christmas. I'm going to go ahead and give the synopsis just to set the frame of uh, what we're getting into here for the next mm-hmm. three or two episodes anyway, uh, after this. And uh, so here we go, IMDb. During their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. Simple pimple. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't know what else you want from a Christmas movie, right? That's right. It's, it has everything a Christmas movie is supposed to have. <laughs> Stalking ladies. And I'm reevaluating my entire life. Well, while you're doing that, mm-hmm. would you care to talk about the people who are in this movie and probably one or two of those sorority girls? Sean, I can't wait. Mm. Here's the thing I'm going to talk about our five, sort of our five main characters. I actually did just watch the movie this week. Ooh, you're To sort of refresh myself. I I got the Blu-ray from Shout Factory. Boom. And it looks amazing. I like, yeah, I've never seen it look that good. Last time I watched it was on DVD. So. It might have looked that good in the theater when you saw it. No. Yeah, you just don't remember. No, it didn't. No? Okay. I was I was very young when I first saw it in the theater, Sean, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Six month old you remembers. Yeah. I was like, hmm, that grain structure isn't mm. <laughs> And that's when they knew you were gonna be a nerd. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both my parents just shaking their heads. What a nerd. But here's the deal. Uh, so I, I watched the movie again and Olivia Hussey is billed as the main character. And I, I never thought she was really the main character. Right. Although having watched it again, now I'm convinced she's the main character of the movie but you'll see what i mean okay but olivia hussey was born in 1951 in argentina she uh is the uh, daughter of a an opera singer and her mom was a secretary she took her mom's maiden name hussey for her stage name as you do as you always do and should she was acting uh, as young as 13 she was getting roles in uh, TV movies in the UK. Caught the eye of Franco Zaffarelli, because when she was 15, she was chosen out of 500 actresses to star as Juliet in Zaffarelli's film version of Romeo and Juliet in 1968. That's the movie you probably might watch in your English class that has like a little bit of booby in it. We did watch that in my English class with Ms. Cox. Stop. Uh, well, she, I think she did during the boob scene. I don't, I don't think we got yeah. to see the boob scene, I'm pretty sure. Pretty yeah. sure that would have been a violation even back in uh, old 90, 94, Maybe whenever not. I saw it. Maybe not. I don't know. I remember her being good. I remember liking the movie. Well, you know what, Sean? It's funny you should say that because she was very good. Oh, okay. And she won the Golden Globe for wow. New Star of the Year that year for Romeo and Juliet. And then she was in a few other movies between that and Black Christmas. But in 1974, as you may have guessed, she was cast in Black Christmas, Bob Clark's movie of the same name. What? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Wait, what's it called? The movie's called Black Christmas. Oh, okay. This is the movie we're talking about. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, she got the, the lead role in this one. 
And she had this to say about her experience in uh, Black Christmas. She said, I am honored and proud to be remembered for anything that makes people feel. This, uh, this, she, she was given this interview in about 2010. That's a good perspective. Yeah, whether it's Juliet, Mother Teresa, who she also, also played, Virgin Mary. Good God. Or Jess in Black <laughs> Christmas. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, this is all one and the same. Yep. I have had a great time bringing all these characters to life. Scream Queen is what they called her. That she was yeah. a Scream Queen. I wouldn't really think of her as a Scream Queen. But it's interesting, you know, the thing to keep in mind, any, anybody who watches the movie especially if you've never seen it before. Okay. To really keep in mind, almost everything you're seeing in the form of a slasher movie, it's almost like it's the first time ever. Oh. And because of that, so much of it is done so much better than a lot of what came after. Isn't that always the case? It kind of seems like it. Yeah, it's like the first person really has a vision for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as I like my Friday 13th and all that stuff, yeah, like you can kind of tell how, as time went along, everyone decided... All anybody cares about is people getting killed. Right. And boobs. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and and when you watch Black Christmas, like it's so there's so much time given to other things. And it's and it's quite nice for that reason. Very cool. So Olivia Hussey would go on to star in plenty of movies. She also does a lot of voice work in video games and animation. Fun. Um, she's still out there uh, working hard. She was also uh, in a couple of movies in 1990 that are worth mentioning. Okay. One is she was in the miniseries It, and I don't, I don't really like that miniseries, so I don't suggest anyone watch it. But <laughs> she was also in Psycho Four: The Beginning, where mm. she played Norman Bates's mother in flashback. And that movie, I still contend, is a good movie, and maybe we will watch it sometime for this year podcast. Now, yeah. did you have you watched that Bates Motel series at all? No. But when it came out, it, it I've definitely kind of felt like, well, I've seen this before. Oh, okay. But I don't know how much it took from that. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. I don't even know if I've ever seen Psycho 3. Huh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's it's Olivia Hussey as Norman Bates' mom. Henry Thomas from E.T. plays Norman Bates. That's amazing. You got, you've got the real, you got Anthony Perkins, the real, uh, real ass Norman Bates. <laughs> telling his story to a call-in show a radio show sure it's neat it's pretty neat so it's worth checking out but that that is our that's all of our work on olivia hussey wow. who's going to shepherd us through this movie the next uh star on our roster here is keir Dulay. Dulay, Dulay, Dulay. thank you he's an american actor sean is and he really uh, you know he is okay i always wondered about that yeah Right. A lot of people have questioned his citizenship over the years. <laughs> Show me your papers, Keir. Right. Because all anybody ever knows of him is that he lived in space Right. as David Bauman in the 1968 film 2001. It's interesting that Keir Dulay was doing 2001 when uh, Olivia Hussey was doing Romeo and Juliet. And Same you know what's years. interesting hmm. about that is... I don't actually think that is very interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, two two very big movies for both of those stars. Mm-hmm. And they both end up in uh, in Black Christmas together. Now, let I me mean, ask you this. Please. Let's just speculate here for a second. Uh-huh. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. I'm extremely excited to do so. Yeah. Do you think there was a little bit just inside of them both going, you know, I was in, I was, that was Juliet. And, I mean, uh, I was in two, I was in a Kubrick movie not too long ago, right? And uh, now I'm in a movie called Black Christmas. <laughs> well, I'll say this: they may well have thought that. I, I've thought about that too. But again, watching the movie now, 
I mean, I guess there's no way it didn't kind of feel as if it was going to be a, a B movie. Like, even then, you would think, oh, well, some guy's stalking a sorority house. Like, that sounds like a B movie. Right. It's certainly not 2001. But then well, again, was 2001 2001? Before it was 2001? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I know it was somewhat revered at the time, but maybe not to the extent that it is now, obviously. Yeah. But both no, of them, true. obviously, I think now they can just do the horror convention circuit and Kier, the sci-fi convention circuit as well. So oh, man. They didn't yeah. see that coming. And Olivia can do the... Uh, the Romeo and Juliet circuit as well. There you go. Now, Kier has a, a pretty great filmography. He's still working. He's done a lot of stage stuff. Most recent thing he was in was uh, Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, I got to see that. Yeah. For HBO, playing a, a historian. I'm going to guess that's not the, the lead role. But one thing, uh, there was one thing that kind of made me giggle about his career that I thought I would share with everyone. Okay. Everyone loves Noel Coward, right? Everyone knows who he is. Now, mm -hmm. so Keir played a number of emotionally disturbed youths in films, such as the first screen adaptation of James John's The Thin Red Line and Bunny Lake is Missing, which co-starred Dulé with Laurence Olivier, Carol Lindley, and our favorite celebrity of all time, Noel Coward. Although they shared no scenes together, it says here, mm -hmm. when Coward initially met Dulé on the set... He uttered the often quoted line, and I've heard you saying it, Sean. Kier delay, gone tomorrow. I've, so many times I've said that. <laughs> right? I can't, I couldn't even count. Yeah. But that's Kier. He plays a very important part in this role. He plays uh, Olivia Hussey's boyfriend, Peter. And man, I mean, the, I'm not going to get into it yet. We're going to talk about the movie later. Don't worry about it, guys. Okay, yeah. Our next, uh, and, and possibly our most well-known actor in this, uh, in this bit of business, is Margot Kidder. She, of course, of Superman fame. Mm -hmm. She was in the Amityville Horror. She was in Quacks Her Fortune, Has a Cousin in the Bronx. You know. I don't know that that's a real movie. Yeah. Margot Kidder has so many things to talk about. It's almost not even fair to start talking about any of them. <laughs> Should we just skip it and go on? But yeah, maybe, maybe it's not worth talking about. Hey, she was she... on GoBots. Well, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's worked and worked and worked and worked and just worked and worked some more. She sadly passed away this year. Yeah. And it really is a, a huge loss and a shame. And and I mean, that loss will be proven to you uh, watching Black Christmas because she is in. Yeah. I mean, some of her best form. I mean, she is a character that I think people will generally love and be baffled by. She's uh, amazing. Now, let's talk about Art Hindle, though. He was in Face Off. Remember the movie Face Off? Yeah. From 1971? No. No, I don't either. I haven't seen Face Off, but... Uh, okay. He was in a little movie called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, okay. Which a lot of us know about. Uh, the Brood mm -hmm. he was in in 1979, which if you haven't seen The Brood, so worth watching. Really, probably one of my favorite Cronenberg movies. He was in 1981's A Porky's which I believe is a period piece, a drama. It's a period piece. Mm. I don't know about drama, but we're going to talk Porky's in a little bit. Fair enough. Uh, and he was also in 2015's The Sicilian Vampire, which we all remember. Now, Art Hindle, I think he's one of those faces you're going to recognize when you see him, if not from Porky's, if not from The Brood. Mm -hmm. Certainly from, I don't know, Liar Liar, maybe? He uh, plays the boyfriend of the character Claire. Oh, man. And when you... Okay, let's not talk about it yet. <laughs> God, you're killing me. I know, I know, right? I love it, I'm trying, yes. I'm trying to get people excited. Yeah. Trying to get people excited to watch it. One quick thing about Art Hindle. 
besides just having a cool name. His first major role was in a biker movie, The Proud Rider, spawned by the popularity of Easy Rider. Oh, okay. Hindle worked with a real motorcycle gang, and the name of that motorcycle gang, Sean, was Satan's Choice of Oshawa. Oh, love it. Satan's Choice. Sounds like a coffee. Satan's Choice in your cup. Mm-mm. This is a hell of a good cup of coffee. So it was Proud Rider? What was the name of that one? Pra- the Proud Rider. The Proud yeah. Rider. Okay. He worked with a real gang, and it was during the making of this film, he almost changed his professional name to Jeremy Kane. Could you imagine? No. Why? What's wrong with Art Hindle? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Art, Art Hindle's pretty much great. Jeremy Kane, no one would remember that ever. Nope. We'll move away from Art, Art Hindle. We'll talk about our, our last guy here, John Saxon. John Saxon, Sean, also an American actor. Okay. Birth certificate has been checked. Uh, and a martial artist. Hmm. And he was uh, he worked in more than 200 projects during a span of 60 years. Good God. And Oof. he is still active, baby. Go for 300, John. Yeah. He was in Enter the Dragon the year before Black Christmas came along. That's insane. And uh, 10 years later, he'd be in the movie I saw him for the first time in, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Ooh. Who did he play in that movie? Do you he remember? played Lieutenant... Donald Thompson. Okay. He was a cop. Yeah. I believe he was Nancy's father. Oh, okay. Although I could be wrong, because that's another movie I haven't watched in a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. But yeah, Saxon, two, 200 projects in 60 years. Let's name some of them. Here's one called Queen of Blood. Sounds gross. <laughs> yeah. Melrose Place. Ugh, disgusting. The Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist. Why not? Here we go with Nightmare Beach. My mom's a werewolf. What? No, not my mom. Oh my God, but he was also in Blood Beach. So here's something to think about. Blood Beach and Nightmare Beach. He played two different characters and I don't think they're this, I don't think they're attached at all to each other. This is not part of the beach series. I feel like Nightmare Beach is probably an East Coast beach. Blood Beach kind of sounds more like a West Coast beach. Gotcha. And finally, the Big Fisherman. Hmm. I think we all remember him from the Big Fisherman. Yep. That's John Saxon. Interesting. And these are the folks you're really going to follow. In this movie, you're going to see a lot of other familiar faces like uh, Andrea Martin, perhaps, who is a great comedian. And then uh, and then and then you'll be happy. But here's the thing. Now that I'm done talking about casts, you have to talk about the crew. All right, Craig, you want to know who made this thing? You already do know who made this thing a little oh, bit. No. Oh, you yeah. know, Bob Clark directed this. Mm-hmm. How much would you like to know about Bob Clark? I'd like to know as much as you're willing to tell me. Oh, man. I'm glad you said that then, because I got pretty much everything you'd want to know about the guy. All right. The name might sound familiar to some of you, and we're going to get to that. We got to go way back first, because he was born in 1939 in New Orleans. He bounced around the South in Birmingham, Fort Lauderdale, said his family was poor. His dad died when he was young. His mom was a barmaid. Now, this is kind of interesting. His first college that he went to was Catawba College. In Salisbury, North Carolina. Yes. Which is where my brother went to college, insanely yeah. enough. I've been on that campus. It's quite nice. I went to camp there when I was a kid. No kidding. What was the yeah. camp called? Camp Dingleberry? Uh, Camp Dingleberry. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> well, maybe you ran into Bob Clark while he was majoring in philosophy, although he didn't stay there long, Craig, because he right. could play football, you see. Oh, of course he could. And he got a scholarship to play football at Hillsdale College in Michigan. And mm-hmm. he was a quarterback on that team. So, obviously, he was directing the offense at that point. 
Mm -hmm. Only a matter of time before he direct movies. He turned down an offer to play pro ball, it says, although he did play semi-pro for the Fort Lauderdale Black Knights. I guess oh, he just, yeah. you know, that's probably that's where the team. title Black Christmas came from mm -hmm. at their Black Knights, Black Christmas, Christmas party. And <laughs> he eventually studied theater at the University of Miami because that's what you do if you've gone to school for philosophy and then football. Oh, I would. That's the only thing that's left. He made a couple short films in the 60s, and then his first feature was 1967's She-Man, A Story of Fixation. Hmm. The synopsis for this is fantastic, so I'm going to share it with all of, all of us, or all one. <laughs> a soldier is forced to take estrogen and wear lingerie when he's blackmailed by a violent transvestite. That sounds fantastic. It's amazing. I think that is the inspiration for He-Man and She-Ra, both of those. They just borrowed wow. the title. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was about an hour long. It's black and white comedy that shot at Miami, which is a city, obviously, he was familiar with. And then after that, he made Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things in 1972. It's a good title. It's a great title. The poster looks like a lot of fun, and it looks familiar to me as VHS box art that I may have seen as a child. It is on Amazon Prime right now, and it does seem to sort of position him in a movie here that's falling in the horror comedy genre, and those would be two genres he would revisit, certainly. Mm. Another good synopsis that I, I really wanted to share. So this is Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Six friends in a theatrical troupe dig up a corpse on an abandoned island to use in a mock satanic ritual. It backfires with deadly consequences. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, that they have to write it backfires after you dig up a corpse for a mock satanic, not even a real satanic, it, just it a mock. It almost one. never goes as, like, everything goes as planned in the end. Yep, yep. Yeah. It doesn't backfire, all right? That's what I should say. Mm. This movie was written with and starred Alan Ormsby, um, who would be a frequent collaborator of Bob Clark's. He also did the movie Dead of Night in 74, which was about a Vietnam soldier who died in the war but then shows up at the family house one night. So I think it gets into a little little bit of the zombie genre. Oh. Yeah, then Black Christmas came same year, 74. Yeah. Previous to that, Bob had moved to Canada, which was a tax haven at the time for Americans. I don't think that's why he went necessarily, but the productions right. there on the film side of things, the cost was small compared to Hollywood, but he quickly became a big fish in that pond mm -hmm. because of these movies, and it allowed him to produce a movie in 76 called Moon Runners, which was about a family of bootleggers, which I had no, okay. no clue about this, Craig. That was used as source material for the Dukes of Ding Dang Hazard. Ah, that makes sense. It does a little bit and not much at all. Bit. So much so that Clark and others sued Warner Brothers over the 2005 Dukes of Hazard movie and won $17.5 in a settlement before the movie was released. So may, they may even got more afterwards. I don't know. Crazy. That's excellent. Yeah, good for them. Breaking Point came in 1976, which is a very generic title, I think, but a mob yes. movie nonetheless, a revenge movie. I think Bob Clark was stretching out as a... His muscles a little bit. He did Murder mm -hmm. by Decree in 79, which is a Sherlock Holmes movie. Uh, also had a Jack the Ripper thread. You got Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes and James Mason as Watson. Ah. I want to see that. Yeah. I want to see it. And then he did a drama. Well, I think it's drama comedy a little bit called Tribute in 1980, which earned Jack Lemmon, who we were just talking about, a Best Actor nomination. Never heard of that movie. Wow, no, me neither. Yeah, I have to look into that. That movie also has Kim Cattrall. She uh, pops up in several of Bob Clark's movies. 
So, Craig. Yes. You just directed Jack Lemmon. He just got an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. What kind of movie are you going to make next? I'm going to go like David Lean. I'm going to go epic drama with the biggest budget I can find. Well, Bob Clark made Porky's, so uh, that's oh. what he did. Yeah. This is 1981, sort of infamous teen sex comedy a little bit, set in the 50s. Budgeted at $2.5 million, made over $110 million in the U.S. alone. The highest grossing English language Canadian film. Boom. Holy moly. I know. I need to see this movie. I don't know if I've ever seen it the whole way through unless I did when I was like a 12-year-old Dorcas Malorcas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All I remember is just I've, I think I've seen scenes that involved nudity, and I'm kind of embarrassed about that. Oh. Don't be embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I haven't seen the whole thing. That's what I'm embarrassed about. Oh, I see. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, anyway, this movie, oddly enough, I would not have guessed this going on to what I remember about it, but it's supposedly based on Bob Clark's youth in Florida. In fact, it, uh, there's a story I, I read in numerous places that he dictated a detailed outline of this movie in a tape recorder once when he was sick. And, in fact, uh, collaborator Roger Swaybill, who I believe is a writer, Said of listening to those tapes, quote, I became convinced that I was sharing in the birth of a major moment in movie history. It was the funniest film story I'd ever heard. Wow. That's kind of cool. I wonder if those yeah. tapes are floating around anywhere. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Porky's 2, The Next Day. That's the full title. <laughs> Just happens the next day. <laughs> Porky's 3, I think, was called The Next Next Day. That was Right. Yeah. Uh, but that came out yeah, in 83. After. after that, he said, no more Porky's. I'm done. I'm not doing a third. And instead, uh, he made a little movie called A Christmas Story, Craig. It was basically Porky's, right? That was Porky's 3, yeah. No, and that's crazy because when as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, I know the name Bob Clark and A Christmas Story. But I still, like, even just seeing it attached to Black Christmas, did not piece it together that those were the same people. But just, yeah. I mean, nuts. And uh, to have Porky's proceed a christmas story still i mean in a way i guess it maybe makes sense but i I don't know it's crazy maybe he's just taking everything he learned from black christmas and porky's and the jack lemon movie and just throwing it all in a blender and put some kids in there and you got a christmas story he's putting kids in a blender yeah that's exactly all right Actually, that came in 1984. I mean, same damn year. In the movie Rhinestone with Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton, because uh, mm-hmm. that's what the world was clamoring for, was those two. Mm-hmm. And that got him a Razzie nomination. So, Ugh. you know, things were, were, were turning a little bit. 85, yeah. he did a movie called Turk 182, exclamation point, which is another VHS box art I remember. You got yeah, Timothy Hutton too. and Kim Cattrall in that one. Did okay. Uh, TV starts creeping into his resume around here. He did Amazing Stories, an episode of that. Did a TV movie called The American Clock. Did a flick in 87, though, for the theaters again, called From the Hip, starring Judd Nelson and Elizabeth Perkins, written by David E. Kelly. David E. Kelly. You know what the E stands for? Uh, Entertainment. Yeah, absolutely right. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. Loose Cannons in 1990 finally gave us Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd together. Uh, that cost $15 million and only made 5.5 at the box office. I've never seen a second of that movie, although I'm kind of interested now. Yeah. He worked in TV again after that because, you know, that's a couple of movies that didn't quite hit the bullseye. Yeah. And they say you're only as good as your last picture. And I guess they mean it. So, yeah, he did a bunch of TV work. And then guess what? Then he uh, he started writing books. 
No, he made Baby Geniuses in 1999. Oh, yeah. Baby Geniuses. I think everybody will remember hearing a little bit about Baby Geniuses, seeing those trailers oh, if you're yeah. of age. Kathleen Turner, Christopher Lloyd, and Kim Cattrall are in that movie, along with some really smart babies. That cost $12 million and made 36 worldwide, so three times the investment. Not bad, not bad. Not bad. Uh, good enough to warrant Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2 in 2004. You got John Voight, Scott Bayo, and Vanessa Angel, along with some babies. Mm-hmm. That cost $20 million, Craig. $20 million Whew. made nine in the U.S. I could really use $20 million, man. Well, not, not if you're going to turn it into nine. Uh, he made two other movies around this time that look much, much smaller. He did a movie called I'll Remember April in the year 2000, which starred Pat mm-hmm. Morita, Mark Harmon, and a very young Haley Joel Osment. did another movie called Now and Forever in 2002, starring Mia Kirshner and Adam Beach of Wind Talkers fame, Smoke Signals. Interesting. His last movie was a TV movie called Karate Dog. Now, you've seen that a couple times. What do you, uh, what do you yeah. remember most about Karate Dog? Uh, mainly just how really the struggle of karate dog (laughs) and how hard it is anyway to learn karate as a human, but he's a dog. I mean, it really, it really makes you think. It does. I mean, I can barely teach my dogs to sit, you know? Yeah. Karate dog also had John Voight, Pat Morita, Jamie Presley, and the voice of Chevy Chase, which I presume was as karate dog himself. But... I hope so. You know, there's a pattern to Bob Clark's career where, you know, he makes some movies that don't do quite as well, and then, you know, he pops out a hit every now and then. Sure. Uh, so it, it is very unfortunate then that on April 4, 2007, he was killed along with his son, I think teenage son, in a head-on car crash on the Pacific Coast Highway, an SUV driven by another man, Cross the center line, and that man had a blood alcohol level of three times legal limit and did not have a driver's license. He was sentenced to six years in prison in 2007. Super sad and unfortunate. I think, you know, he definitely could have could have given us more had he been able to. True. And that wraps up Bob Clark. You know, I, I think of the people listed on the crew, certainly the standout name. But we got a few others here I want to talk about. The movie was written by Roy Moore. Uh, he's got a couple TV movies to his credit and a movie from 1981 called The Last Chase, which is a sci-fi movie starring Lee Majors and Burgess Meredith. Hmm. Classic leads for sci-fi movies. <laughs> the movie Black Christmas was produced by Bob Clark and Jerry Arbide. Mr. Arbide did a lot of assistant directing and a ton of credits there. I also produced My Pleasure is My Business, Dracula, Live from Transylvania, and A Christmas Story at the Vatican, which I do not believe is related to the Christmas Story franchise at all. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, But Craig, if you go back and watch Black Christmas yet one more time, since you're bragging about your Blu-ray. I probably will. Look for Mr. Arbide as the cab driver. Ooh, I will. Please do. And then randomly, he also was an editor on the 1967 uh, TV series of A Pride and Prejudice. I always want to say A Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, the classic Jane Austen. Oh, I like it. There's music in Black Christmas, as you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just Christmas music. Uh, the music was composed by Carl Zittrer, who did the mm-hmm. score for Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, Dead of Night, Murdered by Decree, got the Porky's movies in his resume, got Christmas Story, and then nothing really until 2013 
a feature called Ghost Forest. Ghost Forest. And he appears as a piano player in the Porky's movies, so you can watch for those. Uh, but it seems like maybe that post-Christmas story, pre-2013 Ghost Forest, he spent most of his time working as a music editor and worked on Moonstruck, New Jack City, a movie called Body Parts, ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. The movie was filmed by cinematographer Reginald H. Morris, who died in 2004 at the age of 85. 97 credits as a cinematographer, Craig. Yep, that's more than years he was alive. Uh, he worked on Loose Cannons, Turk 182, exclamation point. Christmas Story, Porky's, all of those, and then a ton of short documentaries before Black Christmas. Ooh. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see if we can find out how Mr. Bob Clark and Mr. Morris... Uh, came to work together. Yeah. The movie was edited by Stan Cole. Mm, Stanley. It's a good name, Stan Cole. It is. Uh, 62 credits. He did the Karate Dog, did the Baby Genius movies. A uh, bunch of murder she wrote, because he got nice. to. Prom Night 4, Loose Cannons. And I think all of Clark's earlier stuff as well. And then art direction was by Kieran Bromley. Doesn't look like she crossed paths with Bob Clark again, but she did work on a movie called Mom, The Wolfman, and Me. Uh, which is Aww. a TV movie from 80, which uh, was it? What was the other mom werewolf movie that that we had? Yeah, uh, like my my mom, my mom, my mother is a werewolf. Yeah. yeah, who knew that that was such a good like a big genre here? A lot of people are struggling with werewolfism and their moms, which is interesting know? because Teen Wolf, the mom is dead, right? She's not around. Uh, right? I think so. Yeah, I just watched that last year, huh? So maybe we'll do a month of just mom werewolf movies. It'd be good. Wait, did he kill the mom? Oh my god. Oh, my God. I uh, never thought of that. Okay. What if that's what okay. happened, Craig? Oh, my God. <laughs> let's, ooh, let's, let's pull out of this downward spiral. Okay. And we're back. Yep. But that wraps up your key crew members from Black Christmas. If mm-hmm. I find any other interesting tidbits about any of the others who are down the list, uh, I will report back and let you know. Or that sounds fair. if you worked on Black Christmas and I didn't mention your name, by all means, let me know. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a shout-out. Oh, man. That's worth its weight in gold. Isn't it? Well, yeah. Craig, as I think you can probably tell from my voice, I'm even more excited to watch this movie now. I'm glad I know all about the five key cast members. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I really got to dig into Bob Clark's career and see the full extent of it and quite the range that he had. And I don't think I've seen any of his horror movie stuff at all. So I, yeah. I really just know him from A Christmas Story. And uh, I'm excited to see what else he has up his sleeve here and kind of where he started. I'll say what's, what's pretty neat, and we'll get into this more later, but what's pretty neat is you definitely will see Bob Clark's style carry through these movies. Very cool. Absolutely. Because, you know, yeah, Christmas Story is one of these like classics that – it's not like it gets talked about because of the filmmaking. Right. And yet, when you think about it, there is a lot of style to that movie. You know, you think about like the sort of like fisheye shot of uh, Santa kicking Ralphie down the slide and all, there's like oh, some sure. time-lapse stuff and all these things going on. Yeah. That's unfortunate that, that he didn't really sort of see a big boost from, from that just in the, uh, in the annals of uh, film nerds, I guess. I totally agree. Well... We'll do our best to uh, amend that. And uh, we hope you'll come back next week. I, I can't imagine all the insanity that was going on when they were making this movie. I'm sure there's some good stories, and we will find them. 
And we will impart them to you. Absolutely. Craig, any last words beyond what you just said? I'm going to repeat something you said earlier. Oh, my God. Because I'm still puzzling over it. The anals of film nerds. Okay. Now, I'm glad you said Mm -hmm. that, actually, because we need to do a correction corner real quickly anyway before Uh, we walk off here. But uh, I think I said uh, anals. Yeah, anals. I I think you're you're mishearing me. But I'm sorry. Maybe it's... There's a bad connection. Yeah, it might be, but you probably didn't mishear me if you were listening to the tee-up to To Be or Not To Be, and I said something about Pearl Harbor happening uh, in the month that it did not actually happen, (laughs) on the date that it lived in infamy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. We just passed that uh, anniversary, and uh, my apologies. I think I got it right once earlier in the episode and then totally butchered it, Uh, so I'm done. Well, Sean, that is super embarrassing, (laughs) and I'd like to share my own embarrassment because I, too, made a huge, uh, ridiculous mistake in our last podcast. Hmm. Doesn't sound like you. It doesn't. It doesn't. Usually, I'm very, everything I say is so, so highly informed. But I said, first, I said that Bernadette Peters was amazing in To Be or Not To Be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I caught myself with a chuckle because how dumb can I be? It was Madeline Kahn. <laughs> Both of those are completely wrong. Neither one of those superior actresses are within 10 miles of that movie. It's Anne Bancroft. That's how long it's been since I've watched the 1983 version of To Be or Not To Be. I still recommend it, but don't listen to anything I have to say about it because I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. I'll say this, and I'd like to think Anne Bancroft would agree with with me. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Madeline Kahn would have been amazing in that movie, right? Oh, yeah. She would have killed it. Yeah. And she, as Absolutely. she did in so many of Mel Brooks's movies, I think that's mm-hmm. a very forgivable mistake. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure she's incredible in it as well. Absolutely. So good night, Miss Bancroft, and good night, everyone else. We'll see you next time. Sleep well.